Welcome to Teaching Groot. Today we're going to talk about something that every single teacher needs to deal with at some point in the year. Matter of fact, not even teachers, just everyone who has any sort of interaction with a bigger group of people, whether it's the business world or classrooms or whatever. But we are going to focus it in the cl- into a classroom setting for this one. And that is making groups. Yep. I mean, it seems like a relatively simple topic. And initially, when we were talking about it, we thought this would be actually a very short topic. However, the more we did our research and the more we looked into things, the more we realized that there's a lot more, not just complexity, but varieties of ways you can do this. So, I mean, to start with, let's start with something very obvious. Why do we need to create groups? (laughs) And and I think the obvious answer to this, uh, for better or for worse, the way schools are driven these days is that you get a lot of extroverted and collaborative conversation. Mm -hmm. And because of that... Um, we have to cheat. We have to kind of figure out ways to put kids in groups and figure out ways that those groups will matter uh, and be effective. Absolutely. So many activities that you find these days are collaborative and they demand groupings, whether it's for a group project and doing project-based learning stuff right on through to creating an ensemble in a music class. Yeah. Pretty much every single subject area these days involves grouping to a certain degree. Yes. Back in the day, they just let you either choose your groups, uh, if that was the teacher was so inclined to do it that way, or they'd literally say, you're going with this person, you're going with this person, and you wouldn't get a rhyme or reason behind it. We've evolved that in the past since we were kids, so that there's a lot more variation and there's a lot more in the way of thinking through kids' feelings and emotions as we group. And it's also, I mean, piggybacking on that, I can remember being put into the math kids that were struggling and being told that I was being put into the low group of maths. So we don't do that anymore. No, and conversely, I mean, yeah, and if you were in the high group, well, you were all that. Yeah. Or you felt like you were all that. Exactly. So it's one of those things where we've changed the way we do groupings within and schools. And better. So uh, we're actually going to break this up today, uh, not necessarily just talking about groupings in general, but talking about a couple of different types of groupings. Um, We're gonna basically talk through teacher-assigned groupings, student-assigned groupings, or student-choice groupings, and then more randomized ones. Now, we understand right off the bat there might be some overlap or confusion regarding why one is in one category and not in another, and that's totally makes sense, and if you do have that confusion, please feel free to message us or put a comment, uh, send us a comment, and we'll happily answer that question for you. Yeah. Um, But we're going to start with the teacher-assigned groups. And, well, actually, even before that, the way you would decide whether you want teacher-created or student-created or random would be, what's your task? Yeah. What is it that you're wanting them to accomplish or do? That is really going to affect the way you decide on how the groups are going to be formed. Exactly. I think, and also a big factor in this is, in, in related to that, how long they will be in those groups. Yes. Matters a great deal. It does. It very much does, especially to the students. Oh, yes. Because if you've got a whole project in math or science that will last for weeks on end, or a book club, you're going to want to assign those groups then a simple partner talk during a reading or writing lesson or even a music lesson. So I think what you, how you choose these and what you do with them matters. Yes. So starting off with the teacher ones. 
Yeah, I think the easiest and most simple one that we are all pretty much all familiar with and is done in every subject area is the idea of the turn and talk. Mm-hmm. The turn and talk is very simple and is often used to quick, uh, solicit quick feedback from students. Um, the other thing that you really get with this is the ability to choose which students you would like to share by not sitting back when the kids are turning talking, but being active in the listening part of that. Yes. And turn and talks, like, it doesn't really need to be assigned. No. Like, you're, it's one of those things where I do it quite a bit, but I never thought of it as a method of grouping. But it is. It is. And it's just simple as turn and talk to your friend. The only thing you need to keep an eye on when you're doing this is the kids who don't choose to turn and talk, whether they're a new student to the school or they're tired or there's a host of different reasons why they might not turn and talk. Mm-hmm. you got to keep an eye out for those. And you've really got to listen on the conversations when you do this. But typically, turn and talks don't last longer than... You know, 30 seconds. 30 seconds a minute. Yeah, depending yep. on what you're doing. It's like answer this particular question, tell your neighbor, and focus back here. Yep, and they can be used as exit slips. Hey, guys, want to turn and talk to a friend about what you just learned just then? Turn and talk, and then you get that turns into our group share. Yep. Now, one of the things that I often need to do as a music teacher is group students by instrument or by skill level. Yeah. So when I'm doing a lot of differentiated stuff, then, you know, my intermediate students, they're getting harder music, and I've grouped them by skill. Yeah, skill-based skill grouping. And there's a few different ways you can skill-base. Um, as a as an elementary teacher, I'm thinking immediately at math and literacy mm-hmm. and going, do you want to do same skill level? Um, and same skill level in the elementary classroom works real well if you want to pull a small group up to work on a concept. And I'm not talking about kids who are low or kids who are super, you know, enriched in the enrichment level. Enrichment kids need many lessons too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They all do. So you may have groupings based on skill, same skill level for teaching mini lessons. However, mixed skill levels often work because they'll often learn from each other. There can be occasional frustration in mixed skill level, uh, especially if you've got kids that are certain that are very very high in a certain area, and they may feel frustrated with being in a kid who they don't think is at the same level as them. But you can easily quell that with the idea that everyone was working together and it's a community environment and really training that up in the kids. Absolutely. I have a class right now where um, I do have the mixed ability grouping. I've got a class of 20 kids, 10 of which have never picked up an instrument before in their life. And the other two, other 10 have been playing for two years already. Mm. So right there, I was like, okay, so the way we're going to group this is somebody who's intermediate level is going to be partnered with somebody who's just beginning. You guys are going to be buddies. One of you is acting as mentor. One of you is learning. And as we go, when I'm asking questions about, okay, how can we be fixing this and stuff like that, those beginners, they're able to share some of their strategies and tips with the mentors Hmm. of how they're able to solve problems. And what Mandy alluded to just then was the idea of roles in a group. So especially in, in mixed uh, mixed group levels, or actually in any type of group, especially ones that are three or more, you may have different roles, like a mentor role, or you may have a you know group manager role. And yeah, and those can be assigned based on group to group. Bigger groups lend themselves very well, especially groups of four or more, mm-hmm. typically lend themselves to the group roles. So just as a little aside there. Um, beyond skill level stuff, you may have groupings for classroom management. And what this effectively means is if you know there are children in your class who are still working on getting along with each other. They may have a past that doesn't allow them to work well together, or there might be a whole host of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Then you may group kids based on a group functioning well together. So if you want a group of kids who who don't get organized very well, 
you may want to group them all together to kind of help, to kind of so that way you can do mini lessons on how to organize with them. And that way the other groups can self-manage because you know all the other groups are functioning and organizing well. Conversely, you may want to mix it, you may want to use classroom management abilities to put the kids who don't organize well in with kids who do. Yes, absolutely, because yeah. then they might learn something. Yeah. You know, and there, there are groups where I'm like, actually, the two of you, not going to be working together. All you're going to do is fight. Yeah, or you may have kids who are a bit too friendly, and all they do when they're around each other is want to play. So you get that opposite effect where you get the kids who don't work well together it's not because they're two good friends. And then that becomes that choice again. So you may want to like use the classroom management function. And I do that one a fair bit, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I'll mix that one in with another one. Yes, and I do it the same way. So it'll be one of those things where I might ask everybody to find a partner. And then I will put two sets of partners together to form the group. Yes. Or I might have a group that's based on skill level. And might be a mixed skill level. But it'll also be the various mixed skill levels in with these two kids should be in the opposite skill levels. Because that's the, the same skill level one, sometimes it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit hard to do that. The mixed skill levels, you often get a lot of good classroom management stuff worked yeah. inside that. So something if you're looking at doing some projects, a project-based learning or anything like that, would be to group students according to what they're wanting to study and learn. Yeah, Genius Hour lends itself very well to this because Genius Hour does not have to be an independent project. Um, yeah, okay. and then this one can, and this one is often lends itself to some kids grouping working alone, mm-hmm. groups of two or three, depending on how things go. Some kids might not have the same interests, and yeah. some kids might just want to work on their own because they're like too much group work. Yeah, and some kids, and you know what? That's cool. Yep, absolutely. Don't be afraid. There are certain kids, just like there are adults who don't who like to work independently. There are kids who like to do it too, and that's normal. And let that's let them of, have it. Yeah, totally. It's 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 okay for kids to work alone. Yes. Not all the time. No. They do need to be able to work in groups, but definitely it's not, it's, it's totally fine. It's not the end of the world if they don't. Not at all. Um, we kind of started getting into the student choice, so why don't we kind of jump over? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are some ways that students can choose their own groups, and that can be, some of them can be very teacher-directed, but student choice. Hmm. Like, for example, if you give, if you give students a variety of options to choose. You still have a hand in the choice in that you're creating the options for them to choose from, but they're choosing which options they want to go to, and as, as a result, they get grouped. Yes. Um, it's also about... Uh, the, one of the ideas when we were doing the research for this is one of the music teachers said that they had colored scarves, and mm. they would tie scarves onto children's wrists, and then they had to find a partner, somebody who didn't have a scarf. Ooh, I like that one. That's uh, that, that, uh, that almost like doubles up into the randomized one, too. You get a little bit of both in there. You get a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, one, there is one, the simplest student group choice is actually just tell them, hey, guys. Groups get, of two, groups of four, yeah, go. Go. Um, which is, which it oftentimes doesn't give you much control. No. Nope. And can lead to some classroom management troubles. Yep. However, it's super quick and super easy. You know what we didn't talk about? What? Which you've actually just brought up a really good point. Can lead to classroom management issues. If we, when you're, before you even go and allow the kids to choose groups, you need to model it. Yeah. But all, I think all, all the groups we're talking about, you should be modeling what they look like. 
or at least talking through what they look like before you even do them. Because otherwise, there's going to be some messiness, especially larger groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find with groups of four, classically, one person will do less work. Yes. But if you talk through that beforehand, you might be able to nip that in the bud because the group may pull them up. That's true. Alternatively, think about your task. Does it really need a group of four? Yeah. Could it, would it be better as a group of three? Groups of three, especially for elementary years, I find are the best ones. Yes. If you get to groups of five, there's one or two kids who don't do a whole lot or say a whole lot. Well, they, they do a lot of wandering. Yep, they sure do. So, yeah. Ellipsis. Um, um, anyway, so the, back to our student <laughs> choosing groups. Um, the students selecting their own group with, a, uh, with some exceptions are often a way of doing it. Like, hey guys, partner up with someone who you don't typically partner up with. Yeah. Or join join up with someone who wasn't the last person you join up with. You know what I find, though, as a specialist teacher? It's amazing how often those same people seem to be in the same group together. Yeah. But then they tell me that they haven't worked together since the last music class because in their regular classroom they're not allowed to work together. So then it's kind of like, oh, really? Then I, I, th- <laughs> I think that's where we get, as elementary teachers, we can see that a little more obviously because we have the same 22 all day and so we can we kind of know whether that person has actually been working in the same group or not so I think we get to, I think that part is a bit easier um, however you know I understand that point of view when you've got 500 students you might not necessarily remember who was partnered up that one time yeah exactly um, just to keep us plugging along here um, that option, though, the one that we talked about earlier about students being given options. Mm-hmm. Well, you can expand that a little bit and saying you have three options. That way you'll have three or four larger groups and then they pair up or mix up within those optional groups. And I think that's something rather than just joining a task and everyone in that group being in that task as the group. So if you've got, say, eight kids working on the same project, you'd actually divide it into two or three groups. Is yeah, that you what might you're have saying? a three, three, two split or uh, four twos, mm-hmm. um, and they might choose those when they get there. Or there might be instructions and that task on how to choose it. Right. Um, there could be the idea of a random interest group, so um, students mix up based on something they're personally interested in, but it might be all different things that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got, you got, it's really cool to have a group of three, all three students have three different interests to kind of create some conversation and some balance and learning about each other more. That could be interesting, especially at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, another really good one is send them a survey. Google's, Google Forms. Plugging Google Forms on that Yay, one. Yay, Google Forms. Google Forms. Uh, send them a survey and then group. That, this is still their choice because their answer helps determine their groupings. Yes. Um, so based on how they think or maybe how they respond to a certain question might allow you to group them. This can overlap a lot with um, leveled groups. I was just thinking that. I was thinking, you know, I I know I've used that in the past for a leveled group thing where I'm like, okay, I need to pull those five kids and revisit this particular concept. And these kids really have it. I need to extend them. Now, where, so, the, where this difference, where the, where the difference is, is if you get something different altogether, like let's say you're going to the, your first outdoor camp as a school, which my school does do, and you send them a survey about their feelings towards camp. You may take the kids without telling them, the group of kids who are nervous about camp and bring them in one group. So it's not a score. Right. It's kind of more an emotional, social, emotional group mm-hmm. as opposed to a score-based or, you know, 
uh, are you at a certain level? Right. And one of the things that we take into account uh, when we're creating classes, so at the end of the year, is name one person that you'd really like to have in your class next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and that can work especially well if you get a whole bunch of classes in the same room and you kind of, you can help create the groups that way. Yeah. Because it's fun to actually get the kids who aren't typically in the same class together to kind of start mixing mixing them all together. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are a couple that we're going to try and get into some of the more of the randomized groupings. And by that mean, we mean it's less choice and more just kind of... Random. Random. The students don't quite know what groups they're going to be in. And the teacher doesn't necessarily know beforehand either. No, although I have to say, with the randomizer, I may have stacked a deck or two in my time. I think we do that. I think good planning. <laughs> yes, yes, classroom management. Now, one of my favorites, um, and this is a bit of, it's a bit of student choice. It's a bit of teacher. But it's also a bit of random. It's something called clock partners. If you were to type in clock partners mm -hmm. for groups into Google and go to the images, you will see 100 images of clocks and beside each time is a line. And what you give, what you do is you give each kid typically a half sheet that each one of these is printed on and get them to glue it in a notebook. And they have to get 12 partners from your class or from whatever they're doing. And that way when it comes time to grouping, you simply go, can you guys please get into your one o'clock partners? And I know this one as the seasonal partner. So hmm. instead of doing 12, you only have four, yeah. one for each season. And I think that I think the seasonal partners work well in bigger groups. Like if you want groups of three or four, mm -hmm. that can work real well. Um, the twelves work in great in, in pairs, because typically there is going to be you have twenty two kids, they're going to be able to find twelve. Yes. Now, typically, especially at the group that I age that I teach, I will have to tell them to make sure it's a mix of boys and girls because they will always target. Well, typically, will target uh, partners of their own gender. And the other thing is make sure you give that instruction that when you go and find the partner originally, if you're writing their name on line two, they need to write your name on line two. Yes. Because otherwise... It gets on one, <laughs> and then they're going, I don't have a group partner for number two. Yes, you do. It's I'm them. And you get that temporarily, yeah. you get the, the conversation. The conversations, the snafus and yes. stuff like that. So other randomized ways that you can do it, um, um, puzzle pieces. Yes. Each of them has a puzzle piece. They have to find the matching puzzle piece. Yes. Uh, my most commonly used one I think that I do is sticks. Yep. So in my class, every student has a number, 1 to 23 or 1 to 22 or whatever it is you have in your class. And you have big tongue depressor sticks with the number on it and you draw them. So for me, I've got a bunch of colored popsicle sticks. Yep. And... I actually then went through and wrote musical symbols on each one. So I've got, no, there's three items written on it. So I've got the colors, which they're already pre-dyed. I've written a musical symbol, and I have also written um, soulfish. Yeah. So the kids know that when they pick up that popsicle stick, they might pick the blue one, their friend might pick the blue one, but I may say, get into your musical symbol groups. Yeah. There, there's, and there is standardized ones you can buy. Uh, I've got a set that look like plastic pencils, and they've got a, one, ones have circles, moons, diamonds mm -hmm. on the top, but they're all different colors. And the other side, they've got numbers. So, you, so when you pull them out, when the kids draw one, they don't necessarily know whether you're going for color, number, or shape. Yes. 
And I don't know about those ones, but the way I designed mine, because I did them by hand, I know that if I'm picking by color, they're groups of four. Yeah. If I'm picking by musical symbol, uh. they're groups of threes. And if I'm doing it by solfege, then it's groups of two. And these plastic ones do run a similar idea. Uh, where there's like there's five fives, there's six. I think that, I think actually is there's like I think it starts at two. There's, so there's two ones, there's three twos, etc. Yeah. And you can buy these at any given teacher supply store or Amazon, wherever you need to get them. Um, a few other little ones before we kind of clue this up for the day. Um, you can use decks of cards and take out the you know if you everyone who has an ace raise your mm-hmm. hand. Yep. That's really good if you want to maximize for obvious reasons maximum groups of four because you know four aces in a deck um there's another way you can literally uh get the class into a line cut it in half fold it in half and the person you're staring at is your partner that's a pretty interesting one or the small circle big circle idea where you have two circles and you have an inner circle and outer circle the inner circle faces out the outer circle faces in and they rotate around and your partner becomes yeah the person that you're facing when you decide to stop the rotation of the circles um doing Birth month. Yep. Good one. You know. Or birthday. Or birthday. Uh, number of siblings. Yep. Any number of demographics. I guess like I would the demographics. Dem- demographics. Yep. Um, if, you you have, if you have a dog, raise your hand. Yeah. If you have a cat. If you have five pets. If you have one pet. And also, for those teachers in international schools, passport country. Totally. Works out well. Um, be careful with that one. Some kids might have lived their whole life in Hong Kong for example, but may actually have been born in America. And you will always get that question. But I was born in this place. Well, that's where you're from, kiddo. So that's where that's where, you, that's where we're talking Which about. Which is why I said passport and not where you live. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, and then those kids that have two passports, they get to choose which one. And you might even do travel, too. Again, international ones, international kids especially. Uh, if you, Whoever spent their summers in Asia. Bear in mind, yep. they have to know where Asia ends. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so that's one for older students and not so much the very young ones. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a million... I didn't go to J- Asia. I was in Japan. I know. It's like, really? <laughs> I, I didn't go to England, but I went to London. Yep. You sure did. Anyways. Uh, so that's our various methods of grouping. Um, enjoy this. I hope, uh, hope you guys got a few ideas from this. Um, take a look on the website for a variety of resources that we have, including a website that will list most of these and yep. some and some more. Absolutely. And if you did find this useful, please make sure to share it out, leave us some feedback, good or bad, and yep. see you next time. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.